Welcome in to the debut episode of the Pro Football Network Bengals podcast. Uh, my name is Dallas Robinson. I'm an NFL analyst here at PFN. And joining me, really the only person that could, our, our purveyor of all things Bengals at Pro Football Network, you know him, uh, our beat reporter for the Bengals here at PFN, Mr. Jay Morrison. Jay, how are you doing this fine morning? I'm great, Dallas. How are you? I'm doing great. Doing great. Really excited to do this with you uh, yeah. this year. You know, this is the first of what we hope will be many, many podcasts. We're obviously excited to have you at PFN uh, this year and dive into the Bengals content. We were talking yesterday before the show that, you know, this is maybe the most excited Bengals fans have been about the Bengals in years. You know, the past couple seasons were a little bit unexpected how far they went uh, in the playoffs and this year, though, I think expectations are as high as they maybe have ever been. And uh, I, I think it, we're, we're in for a fun season. Um, and, I'm, and I'm very excited to do this with you this year. Yeah, I mean, the expectations really kind of jump soon as they drafted Joe Burrow. And then, as you mentioned, that 2021 season was just totally unexpected. I think everybody thought the real championship window was going to open in 2022. Um, that accelerated everything. But those both of those runs, there was always that, yeah, but. You know, there, there's the offensive line. Is it good enough? Is it can they keep Joe upright? That that's not really a question this year. I mean, this is a this is probably I, I would say 2015 the best offensive line since they've had since that group. Um, and it's a big offensive line. I mean, these are big guys, and I I know it's the league has gone to this this pass first mindset, and running backs aren't getting paid and all that, but. I, I think you're going to see this team really run the ball well this year. Everybody's worried about can they protect Joe, and and I do think that that's going to be improved. Um, we'll get to Jonah Williams later, um, yeah. but there's there's a lot to be encouraged about, and the, you know there's there's questions on the defense with some new pieces there. But I think um, I, I I would argue that that Bengals fans have more faith in Lou Anaruma maybe than they do in Zach Taylor. I, I think a, a lot of this offensive success uh, people kind of point to joe burrow and and it's unfair that they they think that zach taylor's you know not as big of a part of that as he is but lou anarumo when when they hired him and it was so late in the process and it felt like the fourth or fifth choice and everybody was really critical of that hire he has completely flipped that attitude and that thought and um there there's a lot of trust that he's going to get this right and they have so many other good pieces and you're right i mean that they are a Super Bowl favorite for a reason. And and this this Bengals fan base has been starved so long. And and they've got they've they've just, you know, that the older ones have had it ripped away a couple of times in a Super Bowl. The younger ones had it ripped away a couple of years ago. Um they they are right there. And yes, you're right. This this is uh maybe the most excited. You know, I've got I've got family members that are Bengal fans. I, I hear it all the time. I've got friends, you know, is are is this the year? Are they gonna do it? Uh, how's Joe's calf? All those kind of questions. Um, but but yeah, it's there is a lot uh of hope and optimism for this season. And I think it's interesting you bring up Lou Anarumo too, because who knows after this season, Brian Callahan could be elsewhere. Lou Anarumo mm-hmm. could be elsewhere. These guys are hot head coaching candidates last year that will surely take interviews again. Joe Burrow is obviously going to get more expensive. T. Higgins is going to get more expensive. It's not like this is the last year that the Bengals win, can win a Super Bowl by any means, but it's it's one of the last years where I think it's right there at their fingertips with all the pieces in place in terms of coaching staff, younger players, veteran players. This is the year, I think. So I, I, we're really excited to get into it. Um, this is a, is a roster that's it's, it's veteran-laden, but also has a lot of ascending players. And I think some 
a linebacker who's right there in the middle is Logan Wilson, who has been here a few years. You mentioned it in your recent article at PFN that he's kind of the heart of the defense, even if he's not maybe the most vocal leader in the locker room. But the Bengals locked him up on Friday, four years extension, up to $37.25 million. Um, I think this was a great deal. I, I think if you look at the linebacker market, you look at guys like Tremaine Edmonds that got $18 million a year from the Chicago Bears this offseason. Logan Wilson and Jermaine Pratt, their average annual values don't even add up to Tremaine Edmonds's uh, mm. salary on his own. I think this was probably a really good deal, um, and the Bengals could afford to do this because they're – they're cheaper at other positions right now. They have a lot of young players in the secondary who they're playing. They're paying, you know, basically league minimum rates. So I think locking up a guy like Wilson, locking up Jermaine Pratt, uh, extending Trey Hendrickson, those are things they can afford to do right now because they have so many young players in the roster who really aren't making anything. Yeah, I mean, even the guys they're paying in the secondary, Mike Hilton, Chidobe Awuzie, they they got them on pretty reasonable deals and so yeah there's not there's you know the trey hendrickson hit is big but the, the linebacker is kind of the running back of the defense where it's it's just a, a position that is it's losing value in, in the eyes of of the people that construct rosters they're certainly not defensive coordinators they know how important those guys are and the other guys the, the guys that play defense know how important you have to have those two guys in the middle of the field but it's just the the the, the off ball ones are a little bit, you know, the, the TJ Watts, the ones that are technically outside linebackers that rush the passer, those are, that's a different breed, but the off ball linebackers are just kind of an oversight. And, you know, this is, we, we've talked about this so much with this coaching staff, how, how continuity is a big part of this. So the only team in the league who has head coach, offense coordinator, defensive coordinator in place for five straight seasons. It's, it's, that's almost unheard of in this, in the league, because, because if you're not good, guys are going to get fired. And if you are good, guys are going to get plucked. They're going to get taken to other. And, you know, Brian Callahan is interviewed. Lou Anarumo is interviewed. They, they, they haven't got the job yet. So the, the continuity in the coaching on, in the coaching ranks. And then, you know, if, if we were going to bang on how big of a loss it was to lose Von Bell and Jesse Bates and the continuity they had on the back end, I think you have to celebrate keeping Jermaine Pratt and Logan Wilson together. Those guys have played together for, for three years in a row. And, you know, Logan wasn't a full-time guy as a rookie, but, you know, two years for sure they've been there. And, and Logan wears the green dot. He's the one that gets the calls in. It's a the, – the, the biggest surprise in this whole thing wasn't that they signed him. It, it's when they signed him. They, just the thought process was it's going to be Joe Burrow first. That's the big domino that has to fall. Then you right. see what you got left. And, you know, I, I think – they kind of know where, where the Burrow deal is going to be. And, you know, there's probably some tinkering over, you know, just some details of it. So I, I think having kind of that framework in mind of what that's going to look like, they, they realize that, yeah, that, that they, they can get Logan Wilson done. There's no reason not to get him done. He's, he's that big of a deal. It sends a message to the locker room that, it, that they've been sending for a while, that they are going to, if they draft you and you play well, they're going to reward you. And, and so, uh, it was just good to see Logan is is one. I mean, it's it's a locker room full of really good guys. There's no one in there that is really difficult to work with. But but Logan is at the top of that list. He when you know that 2020 season when things weren't good, he was a guy you could go to and he would tell you what was going on. And he's just a, a stand up guy. He's he's everything you want. He's he's fast. He can cover backs, but he's also a thumper. I mean, he is really physical in the run game. I, I mean, I go back. 
that that Super Bowl against the Rams and what it was 29 carries for 43 yards, something or 23 for 49. I think it was just ridiculous um, how well they stopped that Rams running game. And he he played an incredible game with a, a torn shoulder that needed surgery a couple weeks after that game. And he that's that's why I kind of mentioned that he was the, the heart of the defense. You know, you've, you've got the guys that are the much more rah rah vocal leaders, but but Logan Wilson, it, 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 it's a I think a lot of people kind of gloss it over because of of what the position has become, but that was a really key signing. Yeah, and I think I think the same could be said for Jermaine Pratt is that we don't know if we've seen these guys best yet. I mean, mm-hmm. they're they're in their prime right now, but I I, th- I could still consider both of them like ascending players. I, I think there's still more to come. So to get them locked up, and especially at the rate at which the Bengals play like nickel and dime defense too. These guys yeah. are on the field all the time. Three times. And, and so I – I, I expected to see more complaints about paying two off-ball linebackers maybe than I did actually see. But I think, as you talked about, NFL coordinators know how important these guys are, and they got them at really reasonable rates. So I don't think it's, I don't think it's too big of a problem. Speaking of Joe Burrow and his uh, contract situation, mm-hmm. what's the latest on his injury? I don't think we've had a ton of updates. Um, you know, Joe Burrow said, or uh, Zach Taylor said it'll be a few weeks. Um I think most people at this point are expecting that he'll be back for week one. Jamar Chase maybe made some comments uh, to the contrary of what he's hoping for Joe Burrow. Um, what, what's the latest on Joe Burrow and, and where do things stand with his with his injury? Yeah, there not a lot of updates. I mean, Zach, still every time he's asked, he still says several weeks and, and not from the point he's answering the question. He says several weeks from what I said at the first time, which was right. the day after <laughs> the injury. Um, you know, Jamar's point about that is is a good one because he speaks from experience for from a couple of different and he's had a calf strain he knows how long it can linger but then he also it was it was such a a a topic of conversation last year when he had the fractured hip and he was cleared to come back for that Tennessee game and he said no I want to wait one more game and uh, they won that game they won that game at Tennessee he might have taken some criticism had they lost that game and had they needed him, but that, that didn't end up being the case. Um, and then he comes back and he plays great against the chiefs. He had another huge game the week after the chiefs. So it, it, it makes sense that, you know, Jamar knows everybody knows if, if Joe Burrow comes back too early with an injury that has a history, uh, you know, doctors say it's around the 33% tile that, that or 33% chance of re-injuring if you do re-injure it, you you go back to square one. Then it's several weeks from the time you injure it. So then you're talking about five, six, seven weeks in the regular season without Joe Burrow. I don't know if this team, from what I've seen in camp from Trevor Simeon and, and, and Jake Browning, if this team could overcome that. So the, being patient and everybody knows these guys, as soon as they start feeling good, you know, Look at Joe Burrow last year when he came back from the appendectomy. He was nowhere near 100%, but he was out there mm-hmm. for the for the season opener against the Steelers because you can't re-injure an appendix once they take it out. Right. It's out, and there's there's it, that that there's that's not a, in play there. But this is this is an injury that you really do have to worry about. Uh, it feels it feels good, and then the first time you sprint out of the pocket, it happens again. So that's where Jamar is coming from. Yeah. Um, I think Joe Burrow's smart enough to know that he's. <laughs> He's a guy that want, he's wants to play through anything, but he's going to listen to the doctors. Um, he's He may be frustrated that he can't be out there, but he's he's smart enough. He understands it, and they're going to they're gonna play this as cautiously as possible. And it's, it's 
you know, people might say, oh, don't worry about week one, kind of what Jamar said. It's it's not a slide at the Browns where you don't need him to go no. play the season opener against the Browns. It's just you do need him in weeks two, three, four, five on down the rest of the season. So that that's where that's coming from with Jamar. But yeah, as far as Joe, the, the, the timeline has not changed at all, at least what people are telling us. And I think there's maybe concern about not wanting to start slow like they have in recent seasons, but yeah. I really think you have to balance that against, like you said, you want Joe in the middle of the season. You want Joe ready at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. If you start slow at the beginning of the season, we've seen them overcome that, right? It's not it's not the end of the world. You need him at crunch time. Um, yeah, I, I think I, I'd be surprised at this point if he's not out there for week one. That's just my thought based on, on really no information, but I'd be surprised if he wasn't out there. Um, but we'll see. We'll just have to see. I, obviously not going to participate in the preseason. He's really never had a normal uh, training camp in preseason, so we'll, we'll see how we'll see how that turns out. Yeah, yeah. One thing I wonder about that when when they talk about those stats with the thirty three percent chance of, of re injury is how far that data goes back because mm-hmm. these guys are in so much better shape than even quarterbacks were fifteen sure. twenty years ago, and Burrow is in tip top shape, and so you know it 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 stands to reason that that maybe he could recover a little bit faster and. So I, I do. I, I If I was putting odds on it, I would say probably 75% likely. Now, this is nothing Nothing people have told me. I'm, this is just in my mind. But 75% at least chance that he plays in that season opener. And then, of course, the other thing with Joe Burrow, besides the injury, is the contract. Um, you know, Justin Herbert signed a mega deal with the Chargers. A lot of people thought the Bengals would try and get a deal done with Joe before Justin Herbert got that deal done with the Chargers. They didn't. Um, we don't know if there's going to be a deal done before week one. It, it seems like there should be. It seems like there could be, but it's still kind of up in the air. Um, have you heard anything on where talks stand in terms of an extension for Burrow? No, I mean, both sides are keeping that so close to the vest. I, I mean, yeah. same thing. I am optimistic. Uh, yeah. I expect it to happen before the season opener. It, it, it's not going to happen after the season opener because they don't, they don't, I mean, they have signed extensions, uh, you know, during the season, but it's been long snappers and kickers and, sure. you know, bit, you know, role players like that. I, I don't think you're going to, I don't think they want Joe to worry about a, no- no. a negotiation in season. So that that is a deadline. And I, I remember I, I've written about this too, where in 2015, the AJ Green extension came down to the literal last minute. They were yep. in line to get on, go through TSA to get on the flight to fly to Oakland for the season opener when that deal came down. So they're going to go right up to the end if they have to do it. I, I expect it to get done. I, I'm, I'm guessing that the haggle here is over the guaranteed money. It's it's not sure. something the Bengals like to do, but you know, for so long we, we we said there's this Bengals template and they just don't deviate. And that's you've thrown that out the window. They've done there. There's so much has changed about this organization and the way it's run. Even though the same people are in place, there's been some new blood with Elizabeth and Carolyn Blackburn, but they they do things a little differently now. They have kind of gotten with the times and. I, I still don't think they're they're thrilled about throwing a ton of guaranteed money on this, but that's what it's going to take. It's not going to be a fully guaranteed contract. I wouldn't expect nothing like the Deshaun Watson thing, but that's the reason they they have an indoor facility with with a sponsorship on it. And it's a reason it's now Paycor Stadium instead of Paul Brown right. Stadium, where you have to put this money in escrow and and, and have that guaranteed money set aside. Um 
they, they gave Orlando Brown 31 million in guaranteed money when they signed him. So they have kind of pivoted on that. I think it's just, it's coming down to the structure, how much guaranteed money, um, and then how they can possibly work it in. I mean, it, it's, it's for two sides that don't want to say a lot about this negotiation. I thought it was telling that, that Joe has said he feels confident that they can get the other guys done. And now we see yeah. Logan's already done. So the next one there is T Higgins. And so I, I think, I don't think that's lip service. I think he, yeah. that is part of his negotiation is he, he wants to be assured that he's going to have T Higgins as well. So, so maybe we see T go first and, and get that done because, you know, he, I don't know that you can write that into a contract where, uh, okay, we're going to sign this deal, but you have to promise you're going to sign my friend too. <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah. know that you can do that. So maybe T does go first and then they, they wrap it up with Joe Burrow. But I, I don't think there's too much to sweat over for Bengals fans. I, I fully expect this to be done before the start of the regular season. Yeah, you mentioned A.J. Green. You know, the Bengals are not afraid to make players the highest paid player at their position. A.J. Green was the highest paid receiver in the league when he got his extension. Carson Palmer was the highest paid quarterback in the league back when he got his extension. So I think Andy you're right. Dalton wasn't the highest, but he was pretty close. He was, he was higher than what maybe his performance indicated yeah. should have been. Yes. I don't think the average value is going to be a problem. Like you said, it's going to be the no. guarantees. I, I am I am curious on like what structure they end up on there. Is it going to be a 10-year deal like Patrick Mahomes that really gave the Chiefs a lot of financial flexibility. I kind of doubt it. I think that's kind of a, a one-term, one-time thing. And then you have teams like the Eagles with Jalen Hurts and the Ravens with Lamar Jackson that are using these triple option bonus structures where you know the money is prorating over years in the future. I'm, I'm really curious to see what the Bengals do. Like you said, they've changed their stripes in a lot of ways in terms of what they do in the front office, transaction-wise, contract-wise. This is the big one. You're right. We'll see how much they're willing to really change those stripes. Speaking of Joe Burrow, the NFL players put out their top 100 list just wrapped up uh, this week. Joe Burrow comes in at number six and a lot of uh, NFL luminaries ahead of him. Travis Kelsey at number five, Nick Bosa at number four, Jalen Hurts at three, Justin Jefferson at two, and the reigning MVP Patrick Mahomes at number one. A lot of awards, a lot of big names right ahead of Joe Burrow. So coming in at number six is a really good spot for him to be in. Yeah, best ever by a Bengals player. Um, for for people that have followed me for a while, know I I love spreadsheets. I actually keep a a running tally of where Bengals have appeared in the NFL top 100 since it debuted in 2011. And the the previous high ranking for a Bengals player was at number nine. That was AJ Green in 2013. So Burrow goes above that to number six, and uh, I would guess he'll probably climb higher at some point in his career maybe next year and a lot depends on on how this season plays out and how the calf holds up but um what i found interesting about the the list is a lot of times the guys on the top 10 are are established guys in the league that have been around for a while this is player voted so you know you they you 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 have a a resume over time that that gets you up there it's not a lot of one-hit wonders on that list so I, I went and I looked all the way back to 2011. How many guys have finished in the top six that year with fewer than 42 games played? Because that's that's the number of games Joe Burrow has played in the league, just 42. Um, you, you care to guess uh, over the last, what is it, 13 rankings, how many guys have, <laughs> have finished in the top six with fewer than 42 games played? I think it's got to be low. I think it's around five, I would guess. It's got to be a low number. You, you nailed it right on the nose. It's it's five. Um, 
the amazing thing is who the five are. You guys watching this or listening can win a bar bet, get a free beer on us. If you can quiz someone who the five are that finished in the top six with fewer than 42 games played, some of them make sense. There's one on there that nobody will get. Not even this player's mom, probably. So Jonathan Taylor last year came in number five. He had 30, 32 games played at that point. Um, another piece that he can use in his arsenal to argue that he deserves to be paid. Sure, yeah. Uh, Lamar Jackson, number one, 2020. Uh, after 31 games played the year before that Patrick Mahomes came in at number one 17 games played that's pretty remarkable uh, the, the following year he was fourth to Jackson's first uh, and he still only had 31 games played at that point uh, back in 2013 J.J. Watt was fifth on the list with 32 career games played the guy that nobody's gonna get 2018 number three in the top 100 NFL players Carson Wentz. Oh boy. <laughs> 29 games played. I, I, I didn't go back and look. I, I don't know that he ever sniffed the top 100 again after that. I can't that imagine. Season. No. Um, but yeah, th- take that list to, to the bar tonight or tomorrow night or whenever and, and see if you can uh, see if you can win a bet. It's uh, it really shows how recency bias works, right? <laughs> it's, yes. it's what, what you did the most recent season, Lamar coming in at number one after his MVP year. Same with Mahomes. I think you're right. If Burrow wins an MVP, he could be in the top five. He could be number one. Who knows? It's I, I think it's based a lot on what happened the previous season. Um, yeah, it, it's pretty incredible, I think, to see him that high. Um, and we should only expect him probably to go up from here. Um, speaking of legendary Bengals players. Ken Riley became the second Bengals player to be inducted in the Pro Football Hall of Fame uh, this past weekend. Obviously a a bittersweet moment. Um, You know, he wanted to be in the Hall of Fame for a long time and tragically passed away before uh, he was officially enshrined. His family was there. His son spoke on Saturday. But, you know, it's a great moment to see another Bengal inducted in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But it's kind of hard to deny that the circumstances around it were were not that great. Yeah, I mean, it was just I was so happy for for Ken the second and and Barbara and the whole family. I mean, it's so well deserved. But you mentioned it, it's bittersweet. It was I was sad watching that. It was yeah. just like it, it shouldn't have been like this. He should have been in a long time ago. His numbers didn't change. Well, exactly. why now? You know, the Veterans Committee did the right thing and got him in, but 65 interceptions back in an era when they weren't throwing it like they are now. It's just remarkable. And it's just, I don't know. I, I watch those induction ceremonies a lot and I get emotional. I mean, I cry yeah. sometimes watching the the way these, these guys pour their hearts out and their speeches. And I don't want to take anything away from Ken number two, but he didn't have that firsthand knowledge that, that a a guy would have that played in the league. And so yeah. his speech was more just kind of, you know, talking about his dad a little bit. And uh, the one thing I thought was really interesting is he, he talked about, he gave up a chance to coach in the NFL in green mm-hmm. Bay, which would have been Forrest Gregg, who was his coach when they went to super bowl 16 and instead went back home and, and went to Florida A&M his, his alma mater. So his kids could stay in Florida. He knew they would be happier there than green Bay who wouldn't, but um, <laughs> it, it just, most of it was, kind of recounting the stats and the resume and all that. And it just, it didn't have that same oomph that, that, you know, Zach Thomas or the other players that, that get up there and, and speak so passionately and emotionally. And it just, it's a, 
it's just a shame. You know how bad Ken wanted it. He deserved that moment in the spotlight. And, you know, he didn't even, he didn't get it for the Bengals ring of honor that, that, you know, he, he, by the time that was a thing. So it's, it's just really a shame. And you think about it, the, the, I don't know who's closer, which of the Andersons, Willie Anderson or Ken Anderson to mm-hmm. be the next one in, they've both been finalists. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I'm not, I'm not trying to date Ken Anderson and I, I, he's a, I don't know what his health status is. He seems yeah. healthy. We see him around. Does, yeah. like, you, you can't help but think about it. Like, is it going to happen to him? Is he going to get in after it's too late? It's just, I don't know. I don't know what needs to change, but something needs to change. It, Ken Ken Anderson's stats, just like Ken Riley, speak for themselves, and they should both be in the Hall of Fame. Like you said, it's it's great for his family, but especially with a guy like Ken Riley, who definitely wanted this honor and wanted to be there and wanted to give that speech. And, he, and like you said, he's the player that has poured his heart into the game, and he's the the person who got made him made his way to the NFL, put in yeah. all the hard work, and he wanted that moment. Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? If you spent your entire right. career, you know, putting your all your effort into a, into a physical job like this, you want that credit. So I can totally understand why he was disappointed that it didn't happen years ago. Why his family is probably disappointed, and you know, what can you say? It's a great honor for Ken. I, I wish it would have happened uh, a different way, but it's great that he's in. I think we're all, we're all happy for Ken and his family. Yes, for it's, sure. it's great that he, that he's finally in. Um, turning to more kind of pressing news, the Bengals are, have a preseason game this week. Uh, they will play the Green Bay Packers this weekend uh, after a couple of joint practices that will take place uh, during the week. Um, Just one. So, just one, just, just one, one joint practice. practice. Just things, one joint things practice. Things go bad on the second practice. That's right. That's right. Last year. Let's let's hope it doesn't go like last year. It, I I don't think it will, but no. I guess you can never know. I guess you can never know. Um, I just want to go through the roster a little bit and get your take on a couple of the key roster battles. Who we should be watching when when these two teams suit up. Um, let's start at quarterback. You know, Joe Burrow is obviously not going to play. Uh, Trevor Simeon, Jake Browning have been splitting the the reps while Joe Burrow's been sidelined. Um, I think they should both play against the Packers. Do you see that battle leaning one way or the other? Is is one guy ahead? Is there any chance that they will keep three quarterbacks on the roster? Where do you think the depth chart stands under center? Yeah, I don't. I don't think they'll keep three. Um, I. It, it feels like Trevor Simeon has moved ahead in this in this battle. You know they. Zach talked about earlier in camp how, how they wanted to do two days at a time for each of the quarterbacks. And um, it was a couple of days ago. It was it was Jake's turn to be the, the guy in the first string. And they were doing a, a drill where, you know, down in distance and unscripted, drive the ball. And if, if you get a first down, you keep going. If you don't, then, then the other unit goes in. Um, and, and Jake Browning and, and the ones went three and out twice. And Trevor Simeon drove the team all the way down the field. So. Then they go back. They do a couple other position drills and some special teams. They come back, do some more 11 on 11s. It's Trevor Simeon with the ones now. And then yesterday it was Trevor Simeon with the ones. It totally, it, it, I don't know. We didn't get a chance to talk to Zach yesterday. I don't know if that was the original part of the plan, but the way it was going was two days on, two days off. It, that totally flipped. And it, it, Trevor Simeon is getting the more quality reps now. Um, so I, He's, it it, it kind of makes sense. You know, he, he's got 30, yeah, 30 starts in the league. Jake Browning's never played a snap in the league. Jake Browning's been in the system for three years. He knows the system well, but, um, you know, it is, it, it has been stark. It's, it, you're so used to seeing Joe Burrow be pinpoint with the throws and 
Um, maybe that's for the better that these aren't on target. The, 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 the receivers are having to adjust and, and make some yeah. tougher catches, and they're doing a good job of it. But what's what's really been noticeable is the the outside the numbers, the the, the throws that are along the sideline. Just it's it's not been the same at all. The, the in breaking routes, the slants, all that up the seam, those look good. They both throw a nice ball, but it's 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 noticeable when when they're trying to force that ball outside the numbers and the DBs have coverage, and that's where we're seeing a lot of the PBUs and even a couple of the picks. Um, and you know, Simeon does have a, a stronger arm in that regard. He's a bigger guy, so I just I think he's going to be the one that, you know, if Joe Burrow can't go in week one, he would start yeah. week one. And I, I think we're probably going to see him start Friday night against the Packers. I think that makes sense. It, it probably always made sense. You know, they, they went out and signed him in free agency. He's worked with Brian Callahan before. Like you said, he's the veteran. He's been there before. I, I don't think it's surprising that he would beat up Browning, but I, I think there was a thought maybe early in camp that things could look a little different. But at this point, I, I'm not surprised that they want to go with the veteran. And, and that makes sense. Obviously, the drop-off from Joe Burrow to Trevor Simeon is going to be immense, but what NFL team can you not say that about, right? Any team yeah. that goes to their backup, there's not many guys that have a, a qualified backup who's even close to being as good as the starter, so it it makes sense. Um, you know, I will we say about, real quick, it will be interesting yeah, yeah. because uh, Jake Browning is the, the definition of a gamer where he's never played in a regular sure. season game, but he looked fantastic in the preseason last year, and that's why yeah. he's still here, and that's why – you know, another team tried to pluck him at the end of the year, and the Bengals, you know, sure. kind of did the handshake agreement and elevated him to the 53 to get him some game checks at the end of the year. So we'll see what he looks like under the lights. Uh, but, but what we've seen in practice so far, it's yeah. it's um, it's leaning towards Trevor. Any DFS preseason DFS degenerates that want to some <laughs> money on Jake Browning? I think that might be a good idea. Um, you know, we kind of talked about this be before the show that there aren't a lot of starting spots up for grabs, if any, you know, on this roster. It's it's a team that knows who it's going to be running out there for the most part. But I think further down the depth chart, there obviously are some questions, uh, including a running back, where who's going to handle that third down role? Samaje Piran is obviously not here anymore. Um, the Bengals have historically not wanted Joe Mixon playing on a ton of passing downs. Um, I. I think it's pretty up uh, up in the air in terms of who's going to win that role. Trevian Williams, of course, is dealing with an injury, but should be back at some point. Um, Chase Brown, the rookie. And I think Chris Evans, I think, is someone who, in terms of a receiving back, if he plays well in the preseason, could work his way onto this roster, but it is probably on the bubble for now. How do you think the Bengals will rotate those three backs as they try to figure out who's going to be that third down uh, receiver and pass protector? Yeah, Travion, they they live they listed him as week to week, so that's yeah. not a good sign. Although he he's already been out on the on the rehab field, he's he's moving without a limp. I mean, I don't think it was a bad sprain, so we'll we'll see how soon he can actually get back. He would have been, you know, if healthy, he would be the the leader in my mind to to take down take that third down role. From what we've seen, I, I think it's going to be Chase Brown. I mean, he's mm -hmm. he's looked explosive running the ball. Yesterday, they did some some one on one pass pro drills with the linebackers and the running backs, tight ends and safeties and running backs and or um, the tight ends and the 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 linebackers yep. and some safeties. And so Chase Brown looked really good. He looked comfortable doing that. Of course, you know, it's one thing to do it one on one. It's another when you're out there and that you, they're disguising who's coming and you got to recognize it and step up there and pop someone from another team. 
but he looks willing to do it. He did it a lot. He was asked to do it a lot. He was on the field all three downs at Illinois. So it's, it's something he's comfortable doing. Chris Evans has not looked good since he's been here doing that. It's, it's the, 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 I don't know if it's the recognition and not getting himself in position or just the execution, but he's, he's struggled with that. Um, he, he, he struggled with, he's looked a lot better in terms of, of hitting the hole and, and yeah. running the play the way it's designed to go. He was a guy that used to like to bounce it a lot and, and it, it cost him in, in the preseason games last year. He mm-hmm. had a couple really nice long runs, but it was because he, he went off script and a, a tight end got called for holding because he didn't expect him to go out that way. And he's, he's in no man's lane. He's got to grab the defender. So he has looked better running the ball. I don't know that they can trust him as the third down back. We'll, we'll see. Maybe, you know, he does get some reps and looks good in the game. But right now, in my mind, it's it's Chase Brown. Because, you know, Joe Mixon looked good in those drills yesterday, too. But he's, he's not yeah. going to be – he has to. Because he even if you're on the if you're just a first and second down back guy, you're still – the team still blitz on those downs. And, oh, yeah. and you still need to pass pro at times. But I do. I think you're going to see a lot of Chase Brown um, – Friday night against the Packers and and potentially at winning that 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 third down back job depending on when Travion can get back and and get into the fight. And he's not the only you know rookie that could see a lot of time during this preseason. If we move to wide receiver, I think there's Trenton Irwin has probably solidified himself as something yeah. of, of of the wide receiver four. Um, if if one of the top three goes down, I think he'd probably be the guy to step in, but. Charlie Jones just returned to practice after suffering that that minor injury last week. Uh, Andre Yoshivas is you've written about it, really, really uh, blowing up camp. Very, obviously, one of the most athletic players in the draft this year. Um, where do you see those guys fitting in during the rookie season? I, I think obviously they'll see time on special teams, but do you think they'll see they'll have a role on the offense, or is it more so just in case of an injury? Yeah, I, I I'm leaning towards. The first two 53-man roster projections I did, I only had them keeping six receivers. I think it's yeah. going to be seven. I think you're going to see Charlie and Andre um, Yoshivas both make it. Now, Andre might struggle to to be active on game day, to be a part of the 46. Sure. Um, he's looked really good as a gunner at times, but that that's still a big step for a guy that is – he was the big man on campus at Princeton and he wasn't asked to do special teams. This, and he's going to, if he's going to be that seventh wide receiver, he's going to have to do a lot of special teams. So not just run down the field as a gunner. Um, so we'll see how he can develop there. Um, but I, I do expect him to make it Charlie Jones, you know, a couple of days ago, made a, just a great catch going to the ground. Um, and, and then he missed, he, he left with a shoulder injury and we all thought it was that play. And he said yesterday that it was not that play. It was the play after that one, you know, kind of hand fighting with the DB and got his hand swiped. And then that's what caused the, the left shoulder injury. Um, good news that he only missed two practices. He was back out there yesterday. He didn't, he didn't participate fully, but he was catching punts and he was doing drills on air. Um, I don't know if we're going to see him Friday night. I, I Wednesday's joint practice with the Packers will tell us a lot because if, if he's if he's going full in or participating against the Packers in that, then you can expect him to play Friday night. I don't think that'll be the case. I think they're going to ease him back in. You still have two more preseason games after the opener. Give Andre Yosibash a, a bigger look uh, Friday night in the first Packers game. But but really good news for Charlie and, and the Bengals that you know you 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 see shoulder injury and your mind immediately goes to the labrum and yeah. and he he had a, a right labrum issue in college and. 
you, this is what this is on the left, but it's not near as severe, obviously coming back in two days. Um, sure. So he's going to be in the mix uh, on cut down day. I just don't know if we're going to see him play Friday night. Okay. Yeah. I'm really interested to see what Charlie Jones does this year because, you know, it feels like he is going to be the direct replacement for Tyler Boyd next season once Tyler yeah. Boyd's contract is over. So I, I'm curious to see if they get him any work like later in the season uh, just to kind of put him in the offense a little bit. I'm, I'm really curious to see how that works out. So we'll see how that goes throughout the preseason. Uh, moving to tight end, I think, you know, obviously Herb Smith is the tight end one. Drew Sample will make the team. Beyond that, I think there's a little bit of question. Uh, Mitchell Wilcox is on the physically unable to perform list. Um, could that open a spot for Devin Asiasi? Could that open a spot for someone like Tanner Hudson? Um, I thought this might be a spot where they would sign a free agent at some point over the yeah, summer, which too. they never did. Um, you know, you look at the free agent list, it's it's not great. A guy like Mercedes Lewis just came off the board who went to the to the Bears in a one-year deal. I thought that was someone they could have maybe looked at. Um, so I don't see a veteran coming in at this point, but I do wonder how that'll sort out. You know, obviously tight end three is probably going to be most mostly a special teams role on this team. Um, but I am kind of curious to see how how that will play out. Um and along the offensive line, I think the only question may have been at right tackle where Jonah Williams and Jackson Carmen were competing. I don't really think that's much of a question anymore. Uh, who Who's going to be starting on the right side? It looks like Jonah Williams has probably sewn up that job uh, through training camp so far. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's looked terrific since since he came into camp and the, the coaches have raved about how comfortable he looks. Not mm -hmm. just the performance, but but just the comfort of, of making that position, the switching sides. And it's something that, they, they said is obvious that he worked on a lot, even though he was rehabbing from knee surgery, that, that he was out there working on pass sets and, and just working on kind of flipping his mechanics and getting to that, getting used to that right side, which he did play his freshman year at, at Alabama, but not since then. So, you know, you, you wondered if, if, if Jackson Carmen could make this a competition, but it, that this really hasn't played out um, it, for, for whatever reason, Jackson Carmen just doesn't, doesn't seem to perform well in training camp. This is two years in a row. You know, his, yeah. his rookie year, he gets beat out by uh, Xavier Suofilo. Last year, he gets beat, beat out by the rookie, uh, Cordell Volson. Uh, now he's going a big, big battle. And and you, you, you it felt like the, the, the light had come on. And then he did play really yeah. well in that Buffalo playoff win. And But it's just, it hasn't been much of a competition. Now, I still think Jackson Carmen makes this team um, as a backup, but I... I'd be, I'd be stunned if, if it's not Jonah. I mean, I think you can already write it down. I, I would have yeah. been stunned even before camp started if it wasn't going to be Jonah Williams, just knowing who that guy is and, and the, the attitude he came in with when he finally did report for mandatory mm -hmm. minicamp. You, you knew he was a man on a mission, and, and this, this job is his. They, again, they've been rotating those guys between first and second reps, but it's, it's, it's starting to get more and more we're seeing more and more of Jonah with the ones. And I, I think that, that maybe that they, they're not ready to call it, but what we see with our eyes, it's, it's been called. Is Lyle Collins going to be on this team? I mean, he's obviously on the pup list still. Um, he has a $9.3 million cap hit for this year. I, I, if the Bengals are willing to pay that salary and they think he can come back and, and be a really high quality depth, I think it makes sense in a season where, you're gunning for the Super Bowl, but in the past, I would have said this guy's gone. This guy's going to be released uh, before training camp even starts. But yet, he's still on the roster. 
you, you think he's going to stick on the roster and maybe stay on pup and miss part of the regular season and maybe join the team as a backup later in the year? Yeah, I do. I just, it, it is a lot of money to, to have, I mean, you talk about Orlando Brown with, with the money he's making and then Jonah's got a guaranteed 12.6 this year and then lay all on top of that. But you saw what last year was. I mean, they, they were 15 weeks in a row. They had the same offensive line starting and then one by one, they started going down and it, it did, it killed them in the postseason. So I, I, it's a lot of money to pay a guy to, to not play, which is, I, I'm, I'm almost certain he's going to start the season on pup, which means he has to miss at least the first four games. They can keep him on pup longer than that. You just kind of stash him as a, as a injury policy. And you know, if something happens, if, if say something happens to Orlando Brown, then, then Jonah can go back over to left tackle and Lael goes in at right tackle and Lael's played guard before. It's just, he's, he's too valuable of a depth piece to, to not keep around. And, and, you know, Frank was raving about how he's been helping the young guys in, in training camp and working with them on their technique. He's out there every day doing rehab on the side field. And when that ends, he's over with the O-line and, and giving tips and, and teaching the guys he knows he's been with Frank for a long time, not just last year here, but I mean, when he came into the league in Dallas, Frank was the yeah. offensive line coach there, Frank Pollock, the offensive line coach. So he knows what he wants. He knows what he expects. And, and, you know, they, there's value in that. Um, but we'll see, you know, it's, it's, it's a long way to go. We're, we're still seven months out from ACL surgery yeah. and you know, the, the, a bigger guy with that much weight on his frame, it, you just, you nine kind of seems like the magic number where, okay, that was a fast recovery from ACL. So how much longer is it going to take him to, to get back to that, to where he's healthy and able to play and back in, in good shape. But you you do you have that luxury of putting him on pup. He doesn't count against the fifty three. Mm-hmm. He can do everything with the team, be in all the meetings, do everything except practice. Um, and I, I expect that to be the way to go. That he'll start the season on pup, and then they'll just reevaluate if 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 there's better options emerge and and everybody is staying healthy. Then then maybe there is an injury settlement and they let him go. But I I think we're going to see him stick around. I think on the defensive side there are even fewer questions. Um, I think Joseph Osai is a really interesting player this year. He's, I think you've written that he's probably going to basically play starter snaps. Even if he's not technically a starter, he'll get that level of work. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess my area that I'm most curious about is the defensive backfield, though. I think the Bengals' top three corners are obviously set in stone. But in terms of who plays that cornerback four role, I think you obviously see a lot of NFL teams go through four or five, six corners in a season. You need that depth. You need a lot of guys who are able to play. Um one guy I'm really curious to watch in the preseason is DJ Turner yes. and see how that speed, how that explosiveness we've seen it on the practice field, you know, mm-hmm. but how does it show up during the games? And is he going to be able to play over someone like Sidney Jones? If the Bengals have an injury at cornerback. And then of course the other DJ, DJ Ivy, who has looked really good in practice. And I think you have to start slotting him in as making the team at this point um, as someone maybe who could even be, you know, a tight end specialist like Trey Flowers used to be, someone who could have a specified role in his rookie season. And then you look at safety, obviously the Bengals have Dax Hill and Nick Scott are going to be the starters, but Jordan Battle's got a lot of praise as a really smart player. Tyson Anderson is a guy who's in the mix. Um, how do you kind of see the backup rotation working in the secondary? Who who are you most excited to see play uh, this week and in the following preseason games? Yeah, for me, it's DJ Turner and DJ Ivy because I, yeah. DJ Ivy has looked really good. You expected it with DJ Turner. I mean, he's a, he's he's so fast and he's yes. second round pick, and he just had that pedigree where you 
you, you expected him to come in and make some splash plays and he's been terrific, but DJ Ivy has been a bit of a surprise. I, I was not expecting him to play the way he has uh, be interesting to see when he gets in, if, you know, and, and are the Packers going to play starters or is it going to start with twos and then threes? And then he, yeah. he's going against the threes by the time he gets in. But those, those guys, those two for sure. But what, you know, you mentioned that Trey Flowers role. I, I still wonder, you know, if Jordan Battle comes along quick enough, then do you do you put Dax Hill in, yeah. in that role on a tight end on third downs and then let let go with a three safety look and then have Jordan Battle and Nick Scott out there as your safeties? And um, I, it, it's it's like you never really know, but everything's on the table with Lou Anarillo. Yes. I mean, he just comes up with these with these ways to mix and match and put the guys in the best position and. And so right now for the for the fourth cornerback spot, I I still think Sidney Jones has the edge just because he is a veteran and I, I it, it, there's gonna it's gonna take some time for some trust to be built with, with DJ Turner. And not to say that that he's far behind, he's doing anything not to be trusted, but it's just the nature of being a rookie. And then the other thing is, you know, they're they're not tackling, they're not going to the ground and practice. Sure. And you know, can how how can he do against the run? Can he stick his nose in there and and be a, a, a guy that, you know, like a Cam Taylor Britt, but I mean, he's not as thick as Cam Taylor Britt, but can he be as physical? Can he be a, a dependable tackle tackler when, when the, they get into actual games playing other teams. So um, that's, that's really what's on my mind. And just from the freakish athletic nature of him, that's, that's what I'm most anxious to see. And it's kind of, you know, going back to last year, there was Dax Hill was one we all wanted to see yeah. with Jesse Bates sitting out. He, he comes in and he has that, that great game in the opener against the Cardinals. And you're like, yeah, this guy's legit. And I, I think DJ Turner can, can turn some heads like that as well. A lot of, there've been fans at practice, but until they get into the, the preseason game, that's when really the eyes are on him. And I, I think that he's going to be a fun guy to watch for a lot of people. Yeah. I think a lot of people are excited to see just how, how much depth the Bengals have. They obviously have all their starters in place, but who are the guys who are going to stand out who when an injury inevitably strikes, who are the guys who are going to be able to step up, whether it's a rookie, whether it's, you know, someone like Jeff Gunter, who may or may not make the team. There are a lot of guys, I think, this preseason that are really fighting for a spot. And it'll be interesting to watch, uh, starting with the Packers this week. Um, anyone who's followed Jay for a long time knows uh, Jay's got stats. That's that's what he has. He's got them. He's got them for us today. Jay, what do you have? What do you what are your stats for this lovely day? Well, DJ Ivy is going to love or he, he's going to love these stats because, um, you know, you look at what this team has done and. Since Zach Taylor and, and this staff got here in 2019, um, they not counting this year's class, obviously, because we don't know yet, but they, they've had 33 draft picks and 31 of them have not been cut on, on cut down day. And that's not to say they all made the initial 53 because, you know, Jonah Williams was on pup and, yep. and there was guys on IR and there's, you know, a, a handful of guys that didn't make the 53, but that was because of injury issues. The, the only two guys that this, this team has, drafted since 2019 that that were cut on cut down day was Deshaun Davis who was a sixth round linebacker in 2019 and then Jordan Brown who was a seventh round cornerback in 2019 the last three drafts every single draft pick has has survived that final cut whether it be making the 53 or being on an injury list so you know it's it's getting tougher because it's it's becoming a deeper more talented roster it's harder to crack but you know, with with that history and, and with with DJ Ivy, the way he's played and even, you know, you put Yoshibash in that it, it, I didn't have him making the 53 on my initial 53 projections. I only had him keeping six receivers, but the way he's played, uh, you put enough on tape 
yeah. whether it be in practice or in these preseason games. And it's a, it's a risk where you you cut these guys. You don't want another team to pluck them. Um, so uh, I I think that's a pretty remarkable stat. I, I it would take way too much bandwidth to to go through and look at all the other teams to see yeah. if anybody else has that kind of track record. But for the Bengals, thirty one out of three is is pretty impressive, and it, it goes back to what you know this. The Bengals have always been a team that the, the coaches are very involved in the scouting yes. um, at, at draft time. But that first year in 2019, they got here so late. They hired Zach Taylor on on February 4th, the day after the Super Bowl. And it's like, OK, in two and a half weeks, you're going to the combine to pick players. I mean, exactly. He, yeah. he didn't have time. He didn't even I mean, I, I think he met the, the staff, met Lou Anarumo at the combine because he was hired so late. So once those guys got in place and, and the scouts on this team knew what what they were looking for as from players and looking for what the makeup of what these guys are as people that that guys they, they talk about it all the time guys that love football not yes. what football can do for them but love the process of practice and the grind and all that other stuff and then the high character leaders they, they're very big on drafting guys that were captains on their college teams you start putting that culture in place and it, it makes sense that they're they're not all stars when you've got that kind of track record where the guys you're drafting are sticking yes. around for a couple of years, it, it shows you why they are one of the reasons why they are where they are. Yeah. They're not all stars, but they're glue guys, right? They, they are exactly. able to find these glue guys. And some of that can be cyclical, right? You see general managers who go on hot streaks and then can't draft for a few years. John Snyder, the Seahawks GM drafted one of the greatest classes of all time in 2012, and then went on a five-year run where he could not draft a single contributor. You know, these things do tend to go in cycles. But I think it's it's interesting that how involved the Bengals coaching staff is in picking these players, that they can find guys who are going to work in the locker room and find guys who maybe can't do everything, but they can do something, right? And that Bengals coaches are able to find a role for them and use use them in that role uh, and get the most out of them, which I think this coaching staff has shown the ability to do, especially on the def- defensive side of the ball. Yeah. Um, I think that's all we have for today. Uh, I think... We're very excited to watch this this first preseason game and things see how things go from there. Jay, um, episode one is in the books. Anything else you'd like to say uh, before we before we sign off? Yeah, I mean, you know, you and I are hosting this show, but I want this to be you guys watching this. I want it to be your show as well. So if you guys have any suggestions for a, a segment, a you know, a recurring segment or or anything like that, or uh, if I know I do this a lot of times. I'll have a mailbag or a Jay's got stats mailbag and ask you guys for questions like that. Don't wait for a mailbag. If you have an, if you want to know a stat or something that you've been curious about, you want me to look it up. You want to give me homework. I'll take it. <laughs> I mean, I love doing it. It's give it's, Jay homework. Yes. Give, I give mean, Jay lots of homework. It, it's, it's not like I don't like my free time, but I love my work. I love stats. <laughs> I love spreadsheets. So I, I like digging into that stuff. So again, Love to hear the feedback, what what you guys would like to see more of, uh, and, and we'll try to bring it to you. Absolutely. We plan on being here every week through the season, through the postseason. Uh, as, as long as you'll have us, we will be here. Uh, so that is episode one. We will be back again next week. Uh, you can find Jay at by Jay Morrison on Twitter, and obviously go to profootballnetwork.com to read all of his Bengals coverage. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Dallas D. Robinson. I'm also on PFN covering, covering the NFL at large. And we will see you next week.